Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. With that said, Lee, come on up here. I'm super excited this morning. This is me, Lee Malik. His wife is Wendy. Um, they've been involved in many, well, are currently are involved in children's ministry. Lee's a part of Forge Men's Ministry every Wednesday. He teaches alongside John Columbus there. Um, Lee's part of our outpost team on Sunday nights, which is super cool, um, teaching there. And uh, man, I'm super excited for you to share again. I'm excited for this message. I just want to pray for you, and it's all yours. Lord, thank you for my brother, and uh, thank you for this word that you've put on his heart. Um, Lord, and just how you have moved the grace of your gospel in his life. Lord, let it come to us. Give us ears, hearts to hear, Lord. Um, Father, I just thank you, Lord. Let us just receive your word with enthusiasm. Uh, and just speak through Lee in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Can you hear me? All right. Oh, thanks, Brian. Um, so this morning we're going to uh, talk a little bit about grace. Uh, last week, uh, Cameron spoke about off, based off of Romans 3.23 that um, says that all have uh, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I have a little bit more lighter message um, talking about God's grace and how uh, that impacts our lives. So, um, but to, uh, to kind of get started talking about grace and how meaningful it is, um, this week my grandfather passed away. And uh, my grandfather was uh, in a church domination that was all about works. And um, so he uh, spent a lot of time, especially in his retirement years, um, he was at the church all the time. And so they would have uh, remodeling projects. They would um, have, uh, if they just needed the outside painted because he was in Florida and uh, sun bleaches the paint out every couple of years, he would need to go and he would be the first one there and the last one to leave uh, for any project. And he really felt that that was the way he was going to get into heaven because uh, that is what he was taught growing up. And in 2002, he had uh, a major stroke and he um, lost uh, feeling for a while on his right side, uh, and he forever lost uh, the rest of his life. Uh, for the last nine years of his life, he, he lost speech, and he was a very powerful speaker. So, so it was kind of interesting because God took his tools to do these good works away from him um, through this stroke. And I know, because um, of just what's been... Uh, expressed through his uh, emotions and his facial expressions that um, today he is in heaven not because of the works he did, not because of um, just being a good person, because to him that was really important. You got to be a good person. Um, But I know he's there because he received a gift that was free something that he couldn't do and or obtain on his own. He just had to accept it. And so, this morning we're going to look at uh, Romans. uh, Chapter 5, verse 15. And it says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
you know, the, the interesting thing about gifts is um, no matter how much we love opening them up and receiving them, um, there is nothing that we can do to get that gift. A gift, uh, the definition is uh, something voluntarily transferred by one person to another without compensation. So as much as you might harass your spouse for your Christmas gift and say, hey, you've got to get me this, um, the only thing that can happen is they can have to freely or voluntarily give it to you without compensation. You are doing nothing to deserve that gift. But it, all you are doing is accepting that gift. Um, the verse in uh, verse 15, we, we hear about two men. There's, um, for many died through one man's trespass. And then you hear about, um, but uh, the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So you have these two figures, these men, um, Adam, which actually me- me- means man, um, is the same. He represents sin, or sin, to, or slavery to sin. Um, that brings us into death. But Jesus uh, represents the freedom of uh, freedom from sin through the grace. And um, Charles Spurgeon, uh, one of my uh, favorite pastors uh, had this quote. And um, he said, uh, grace is the free favor of God, the undeserved bounty of the ever gracious creator against whom we have offended, the generous pardon, the infinite, spontaneous, loving kindness of the God who has been provoked and angered by our sin, but who delighted in mercy and grieving to smite the creatures whom he has made, is ever ready to pass by transgression, iniquity, and sin, and to save his people from all the evil consequences of their guilt. It's an amazing message that Spurgeon is uh, presenting here, and that, look, God was really upset with what Adam did. God created Adam in his image. God created him, basically was flawless. The one thing he had against him was he had free will, and he chose not to live in communion with God, but he chose to give that all up so he could have what? Knowledge? And even though this, um, as Spurgeon said, it angered God, um, but God delighted in mercy. And so even though what Adam did was, it brought us all sin, it brought us all death, before that sin happened, there was no death. And as grievous as that was, um, God, God's mercy and his grace abounded more. A um, little bit further down in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. It says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. When you think of that, you, I've always wondered, God, why, why would you allow 
there to be a law? Why, why do we have these 600 laws that um, the, the Jews were told to follow? And um, really, right here, you see the, the law is there and it increases the trespass. It makes sin worse. And it seems like, okay, God, you really don't know what you're doing. But the amazing thing is um, grace is the champion. In uh, Buddhism, uh, there is this belief that there's a balance. The, the yin and yang, the um, good versus evil, um, and everything in their, their mentality and their religion is about balance. And the great thing here is, um, I, I've always thought that good and evil were equal that Satan was as good as God, as, as powerful as God, and that they were equal. And, uh, but what's amazing in this verse is that um, it talks about where uh, the law increased the trespass, made sin appear to be greater, that um, sin, or I'm sorry, grace abounded all the more. So, here God is saying, hey, look, you know, sin might be on the increase, but my grace is more bountiful uh, by 10, 100 fold. Uh, grace is the champion. Grace conquers all. And um, it's through God's love that we receive that grace. I'm looking a little bit more at the law. Um, Paul later in Romans is talking about uh, what the law is. And he says, what then shall we say uh, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Uh, for I would have not known uh, what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So really, as we look at the purpose of the law, that the law is really there to um, show us where we shouldn't go, to show us that um, <laughs> that you are in sin. The, the way you kind of look at this is, say you have a fatal disease, and um, you know something's wrong with you, you don't know quite what's wrong with you, so you go to a doctor. And um, you tell them these are the symptoms, and the doctor gives you some medicine. Now, the medicine eradicates the disease. It takes the disease out um, and saves your life, but it leaves a blemish on your skin. Now, I know in Aspen, where looks are everything, that it's very hard to think about having a blemish on your skin. And you might be like, well, this is disgusting and gross, and I don't want to have this. But uh, the amazing thing is that blemish is just showing you that there was death there, and now that death is gone. And so what you think might be evil because it looks gross, doesn't look pretty, um, is for good. Spurgeon, in his, uh, later in his message on grace, um, was talking about the law, and he said, it is for our good, for that sight of our sin awakens us to a sense of our true condition, leads us to repentance, drives us by faith, to the precious blood of Jesus. Now, when, when we think about uh, the, the sin in our lives, and um, it's, you don't, 
you don't feel worthy to even uh, come and to uh, be in the communion with God. But it's, it's not about us because we've all failed. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so the law is just showing us that. It's a, it's a reminder, hey, look, all the works you can do is not going to get you in the gates of heaven. You can strive and you can be a good person. But, um, you know, Jesus takes it a step forward from what the law that was given, uh, where, you know, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not uh, commit adultery. And he says, hey, if you look upon a woman lustfully and you think it, you sinned. If you um, think a hateful thought about your brother, you've murdered him. And it's, it just goes to show you, like, it is not me. I cannot uh, force my way through the gates of heaven. Um, I am a, a fan of the Old Testament. And if you know me, that won't be any shocker. But um, one of the people that I uh, love the most is this famous king. And um, his name is David. Now, in Second Samuel 11 we read the story of how uh, it says that in springtime, when the kings uh, would go out to war, that David stayed home. And um, as you read the story, they're like, oh, that's kind of weird. I guess, you know, he had a really long winter. Maybe he was tired. It doesn't say why. But, um, but as you read on to the story, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. So it says that David stepped out onto his balcony, looking at his kingdom, and just happens to be looking out on his balcony while Bathsheba is bathing, and is, uh, um, she is in view from his balcony. And so, to paraphrase a little bit what the conversation he had with his servant, but said, called his servant over and goes, hey, who's this beautiful naked lady down there? I have no idea who she is. And the servant, trying to be a good servant, and uh, says, hey, that's, that's Bathsheba. She is the wife of your servant, Uriah. Now, if you um, know anything about uh, the story of King Arthur, you hear about King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And so David had a similar group. He had his mighty men. And Uriah was one of those mighty men. And... Uriah is not some distant figure that, oh, he, David might have heard about. Uriah is literally somebody that would have dined with David every night. And most likely, Bathsheba was there with Uriah. Now, the way the story is kind of written, it almost is kind of trying to give David a little bit of credit. But if you look into the true nature of it, what David did was so... So not deserving of grace, but, um, but he got it. But, so, so David, he still calls Bathsheba and, and says, tells his servants to, to bring her into his uh, chamber, and he sleeps with her and gets her pregnant. And in his attempt to cover up the mess that he created, the, the sin that he did, just not between... Um, him and Bathsheba, or David and Uriah, but between David and God, um, in his 
just humanistic way, he called for Uriah to, to leave the battlefield, to return um, and to go home to be with his wife. Except this failed because Uriah was a faithful man. He was a faithful servant to his king. And Uriah actually ended up sleeping at the doorway to the palace that night. And the following morning, the report is given to David when he asked, hey, did Uriah go home and be with his wife? You know, he's been at war a long time. She's beautiful. I'm sure he wanted to be with her. And, uh, and um, David is told that Uriah stayed because Uriah didn't want to go out to battle and, or sorry, to go home with his wife while his friends and his army is out in battle. And so David, in frustration, tries again to sweep his sin under the rug. And so he gets Uriah drunk, and he sends him off to be with his wife. And again, Uriah doesn't uh, go with this, because Uriah is faithful. Now, so David, and now he's really upset, and he's like, he knows his sin's about to be exposed, so like, okay, I can get rid of this. You know, this is those kind of when we sin, and we... We realize we sin, and we know we're about to get caught, so we, we sin even more trying to cover it up. This is one of those moments. And so he sends Uriah out, and he sends him to the front lines, and he tells his commander to pull the lines back and leave Uriah exposed. Uriah is murdered. So not only has David committed adultery, he's now murdered his best friend, a close companion that was faithful to him to the very end. And... But what's amazing is as David is pressed by his prophet Nathaniel about what he's done, and he said, hey, what have you done? God sees this. God knows what you did. You, you didn't cover anything up. David writes my favorite psalm, which is Psalm 51. That's, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth and the inward parts, and the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud your righteousness. 
O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit. The amazing thing about the story is that you have one of the, what I think is one of the worst things you can do is what David did. But God still takes David, this broken sinner that destroyed the lives of not just his family, but the lives of other family, Uriah's family. And he takes this man, and it is a, has Gabriel, as we learn uh, this month, uh, coming into Christmas, we learn about Gabriel. And Gabriel goes before Mary and says, Mary, you're blessed. The child that's inside you is going to sit on the throne of the king of David. Jesus and God uses David, a broken, messed up dude that made mistakes. And he made, this story is not the only mistake yet he made. But what David realized is that I am a failure, but in God, you conquer all. And, and David is the only other character besides Jesus in the Bible that has spoken so highly of. And David was a failure. And I know a lot of us sit and we think of the things that we've done, the things that we've messed up in our lives and the lives and hurt we've caused others. But if God can take David and put him up on a pedestal that I could never sit on, um, then maybe he could use me too. Um, another biblical character is Paul, or he, we first read about him as Saul. And Saul uh, was a, a great Jewish leader. And he was actually present at the, the first uh, time a Christian was martyred. Saul was actually the one that held the cloaks of those that were doing the persecution. And he was uh, proving, like, here, you want to kill that Christian? Here, throw the rocks. I'll carry your cloaks. Don't worry. I got you. He was, that's how Saul really entered into this whole um, justification of what he was doing. And Saul is known as a persecutor of Christians. But Jesus encounters Saul, changes him to Paul, and later he's writing to Timothy, one that he is discipling. And in his letter to Timothy, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. If Paul wasn't who Saul was, then we would not have these letters, these epistles that we have, which are, I think, some of the, the best writings that we have in the Bible, these, uh, that where Paul is writing churches and, and the growth that we have on taking what was 
basically a Jewish movement and turned into a Gentile movement came and was used, uh, or Paul was used by God. And, and Paul, in other letters, writes about, it's through my weakness that I boast. It's not what I've done. It's not how great I am. I am a failure. But it is God's grace that abounds in me greater because grace is the champion. Another story we have is the thief on the cross. Now, there was two other people with Jesus the day that he was crucified. And now, one was, I could actually probably relate to this guy, um, just cursing Jesus and telling him, hey, look, you know, we're stuck up here. If you say you're God, get us down. And there was another that was had a kind spirit. And he said, hey, you know, you don't need to be upset. I know who this guy is. And he turns to Jesus and he asks him, he says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Because even on the cross, that thief knew who the true king was. And to reward this, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And I think about the the story of the prodigal son and how the prodigal son had taken his dad's inheritance, went off and squandered it. And he comes back and he is just upset and knows, hey, look, I've messed up. I, I'm not even asking to be in the house. If you can just let me work your fields, I'll be your servant. And the father takes off his robe, takes his signet ring, and gives it to him and puts his arms around him and tells him that he loves him and that he is happy that he returned. So if, if you sit here today and you think, I've messed up too much to get into heaven, I just want to reassure you that, look, we've all fall, fall short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. And Jesus is there. He has this gift for us. This is the season of giving. And he wants you to know that the gift that he has for you, you don't have to do anything for. You don't need to deserve it. It's something that God wants to give you voluntarily. <laughs> I can relate to these men in the Bible. I grew up in a godly home. I was raised by two godly parents that prayed for me that set me on the right path, did everything that a good Christian parent would. And I went off to college, and um, I was in Air Force pilot training. And I was so excited because um, my entire life, God had told me, this is my plan for you. I want you to be an Air Force pilot. And so I was just following God's will, which now as I look back on it, I can see why, because it kept me out of doing a lot of stupid things that my high school friends were doing. But, um, but as I was on my second day of um, pilot training, two days in, and 9-11 happens, and um, a lot of people were grieving and, and really upset, and understandably so. Um, but I actually, I kind of was glad uh, to be honest, I was like, hey, if I want to be an Air Force pilot, um, this will be much easier for me to, um, to get into um, uh, a pilot seat because they're going to need so many Air Force pilots. And so I, 
um, was actually uh, just seeing it as a, okay, this is God's divine providence of he uses the pain of many to uh, to get me into, you know, this is my selfish way of thinking of that, to get me into a pilot's sleep. And, um, and then over the next couple of years, all the airline pilots started getting laid off and they came back to the Air Force and they um, had their pilot seats and uh, and the Air Force. Uh, God told me before I went to my commander's office, he, God said, um, I have other plans for you. And God, um, right after 9-11, he had a, a couple of men come and prophesy to me and tell me, hey, God is going to make you a minister. And I didn't want that at all because my dad was a fallen pastor and I'm like, I don't want to hurt my family. I don't want to grieve like that. I don't want the pressure of trying to stand up in front of somebody and try to act perfect because I know I'm not. And so, um, but God told me, you're not going to be a pilot. And I was like, no, God, I, I'm not going to do the other thing that you told me I'm going to do. I, that is not for me. And um, so I was called in and told, this is, this is um, unfortunate, but we're going to have to um, you know, pick another job you want in the Air Force. And uh, I was like, oh, no, that's, that can't be. And um, so the next couple of years, I went through year years of rebellion. And I knew that I had God's grace. I knew of the gift that he had given me, and I turned my back on it. And I um, began drinking and doing other unspeakable things because I wanted to destroy God's temple. I knew my body was his temple, and I knew the truth. Um, But I wanted God to feel the pain that I had. And um, it was years later, Wendy and I had just gotten married, and Wendy was a professing Catholic. And uh, she was like, hey, I need to know how we're going to raise our kids. And, and Derek, you can go ahead and come on up. Um, and I, it was at that moment that God kind of broke through all my sin and all the stupidity I had done and really said, hey, look, I realized that was my eye-open moment was like, I don't want my children to be raised in a religion where they think that it's works going to get them into heaven. And so it was um, very difficult and amazingly God blessed me in that um, I was able to take my new wife and we started to attending church. And within a year, I was a youth pastor, which I never would have dreamed. And I never wanted but God gave that to me, not because I deserved it, not because of what I did, but God was willing to give me his grace and to bestow that upon me. So if, if you are in either a denomination or um, some sort of train of thought that the way that you are going to get into heaven is to do works and be a good person. Look, I know you think you're a good person. You're not. God knows the truth. The things that you do in secret, God knows. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying that because it's the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. And God's done that a lot in my life to humble me. But... If that is you, and you are ready to receive that gift, a gift that was given to you, uh, nothing on your accord, I ask that you would pray with me. So Lord, 
I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I have fallen short of your glory. Lord, but I also know that it is nothing that I do that can get me into heaven, Lord. Because your law has displayed that it is impossible for me to do your works and to be able to get into heaven. Lord, I accept the free gift that you have given me. I accept your grace, your love, your kindness and mercy that you've shown me. Lord, I ask that you would transform me, that you would give me a new mind, a new heart, a new spirit, that you take my heart of stone that has turned away from you so often, and Lord, that you give me a heart of flesh. God, come into my life, restore me, make me the new creation that I know you can. In Jesus' your name, I pray. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.